I never finished school. I just quit school and took my business and moved out to British Columbia to Golden. And I started designing homes that uh, really appealed to me. And it was really fun. Hello and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. I am on a mission to scour the globe to find and interview the most brilliant mindset coaches, sales strategists, and business leaders alive, and present them in a way that landscapers, hardscapers, and outdoor living pros can immediately put them into use to grow and thrive. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 27 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to the show. This week, I have Alex Forshu on. He's an architect up in Ontario. He does incredible buildings. He builds these most amazing homes tied perfectly into nature and the outdoor living space just flows so beautifully in and out of the house. And I, I had to bring him on the show for you guys to to meet this guy and to listen for, you know, to him, how he went from a single, um, you know, business owner up to a team of 18, just, you know, world changing uh, people. It's amazing on his team. And he talks about the struggles he's gone through and the impact of, of coaches and mentors in his life and things that he had to battle in order to get to where he is now and it's just such a powerful interview um, stay tuned all the way to the end just so many good nuggets in this one thanks for listening hello and welcome back to the outer spaces podcast this is your host joshua gillow and today my guest is the founding principal at uh, force design and associates Inc. incorporated located in port carling ontario uh, he takes great pride in both the work of his firm and his team's collective um, he is dedicated to creating extraordinary projects that are influenced by relaxed lake lifestyle blended with in a, the active mountain culture. I know I'm going to love this guy already. Um, <laughs> with several years of experience, he strongly believes a foundation of on-site construction experience mixed with a healthy knowledge of architectural style, aesthetics, and creativity breeds excellent in design. His work ethic, motivation to push the boundaries, and the positive attitude towards change ensures his clients receive the best service imagined when it comes to planning and designing their projects. So Alex Forshu, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So came across your website and I know you're up in the Ontario, uh, you know, part of the world and I'm just blown away by the kind of work that you're doing. Like I've, I've seen a lot of architects do cool stuff, but the way you're able to blend nature outside inside to the architecture so it feels like it's all one you know you, you see these houses all over the place these track houses where they're just a plastic box stuck somewhere and they have absolutely no connection to the planet except the fact that they keep people warm and out of the rain you take it to a completely different level i love the the, the use of the materials that you use very natural materials it blends beautifully with the surrounding architecture or sorry the, art, the surrounding environment and I love that you're able to pull that together. So I wanted to bring you on and talk to you about your philosophy, how you came up with this. And another thing that I'm very interested in based on what I've seen in your, on your website is you do a lot of boathouses. I'm thinking like, who's got the extra cash to put like a, a six bay boathouse in that looks more beautiful than most homes I get to see. So I'd love to see how you get that and how you find these clients too. I mean, seriously. So yeah. a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, uh, just to touch on like kind of what we do, like our whole MO up here 
locally in Muskoka, and I would say like uh, currently that's probably about 75% to 80% of our design work is located in the Muskoka area. And so Port, and just to back up, I guess a little, uh, Port Carling, Ontario is kind of, it's actually nicknamed the hub of the lakes. So hmm. in Muskoka, if listeners do not know uh, where that is or what that is, it's been called like uh, the North side of the Hamptons uh, before in like news articles and things like that. It is, it's where the affluent come to summer in Muskoka and play in the water and enjoy nature. And it's a pretty special place. There's three big lakes. There's Lake Rosso, Lake Joseph and Lake Muskoka, and they're all connected. Lake Joseph, Lake Rosso are connected uh, at the same water level. Hmm. And you can go through a small set of, uh, locks, lift locks, where there's a hydraulic system and the water comes in and lowers your boat down to the level of Lake Muskoka. And then you have basically almost unlimited boating, which is a pretty special, uh, pretty special area, pretty special thing to do. So that's just a little bit about where we live, but going back to our work, 75%, 80% of our, uh, work is located in Muskoka and it's really, it's not necessarily uh, housing, necessary housing, let's call it. So you noticed, or you uh, brought up before, like there's these track homes and other homes where it's like providing shelter, warmth, things of that nature. Obviously we're doing the same thing, but our market, these homes are usually like second, third, multiple homes. So. Yeah. It's, uh, and we, it's fun. It's, uh, we get to play in that, in that area where this is not a necessity and it's a lifestyle. And so we have really, myself and my team have really kind of dialed in and we've been up in Muskoka now for eight years. Um, and we've really dialed in like that lifestyle and designing that lifestyle within the mm -hmm. homes and the spaces that we create. And we really cater to diving into how these people live and how these people function and how they maybe even they how they want to live how they dream to live and we go through a whole bunch of different steps and uh listing of their program and lots of chats with how they want to live how they live currently uh what's not working with uh like at maybe one of their properties currently and we really dig deep and try to design something really custom and tailored to them and their family and what aesthetic that they want to give to, to the lakes, because there's a, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of wealth that comes to these lakes. And it sometimes almost feels like a little bit of a competition mm. <laughs> sometimes I can imagine. where it's like, Oh, my, my friend has this, my friend's boathouse has this. Uh, we want to incorporate something of this into our space or whatever. So it's a, it's a really fun place to work. I can imagine, dude, especially seeing the work that you're doing now. And, you know, I found it interesting what you just mentioned about going deep with the client to figure out how they live. I feel like so many people in our industry, contractors specifically say, Mrs. Jones, what do you want? And she's like, well, I want a patio. I want a this, I want a that. I want a pool. They want all these things. And they let the client kind of dictate what's going to happen without even realizing whether the client truly wants what they're asking for. 
So I'd love yeah. to get a little bit deeper into how you help unlock that client so you can get the very best results. And it doesn't have to be a $10 million project for that. It could be a $50,000 backyard patio, but it's yeah. going deeper into it with the client and finding out what the true motivators are. So how have you done that to make sure you're really getting it right? And then when she walks out at the end or he walks out at the end in this project that they are like, this is better than I could have ever dreamed of because this guy helped guide me through a process where I could find the best result for my future. Right. Yeah. So what I truly believe in is designing for the client some, some kind of space like uh, that they are going to ultimately like fall in love with. And we do that um, a few different ways. We, we really like to educate the client um, into what design style is, um, what other people are doing in their places or what we would suggest in say like a lakeside uh, lifestyle. So we like to educate the client so that they are comfortable enough with making design decisions that they might not even know that they could have done before. Because um, like the whole reason that a client would come to our firm or hire someone like myself, uh, it, we're problem solvers at the end of the day. We're glorified problem solvers. Our clients have a problem. They have an expanded family and they want uh, a new cottage or maybe they bought too many boats and they need a bigger boathouse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we need to go through that process with our clients and figure out what is working, how they want it to look, how they want it to feel. Uh, and all along the way, um, We've been doing this long enough now that even when the client is answering those questions or giving us feedback or anything like that, there's always, you always have to kind of like read between the lines a little bit. And with educating the client, it promotes a lot of great conversation. Um, it makes them comfortable. We also use, uh, when we're designing, we use a 3D modeling software called Revit. Mm -hmm. which I don't, it's by Autodesk. It's a construction documentation tool, uh, 3D modeling tool, and we also use realistic rendering as well. Mm -hmm. So when we're going through the design process and we're kind of extracting all of this information out from our clients and we're writing this kind of project brief, then it's our job to uh, dissect that project brief. We do multiple site visits so that we're understanding how this project can relate to the land, uh, blend in with to the topography. What we try to do is we're going to be designing this cottage or this house or this boathouse. We want it to make it look like it was there for years. And obviously um, we have to implement good construction practices. And up here there's, a ton of natural bedrock or Canadian shield mm -hmm. and say 30, 40 years ago, the construction process was scrape the organics off the bedrock, uh, pin rebar to the, the bedrock, pour your leveling footings. And there you go. Like you'll start your cottage and you might have an unheated crawl space and maybe put your mechanicals down there or whatever. But we all know as contractors or, whatever in the field, water always wins. <laughs> so water's coming through the leveling footings into the basement and that creates that 
cottage smell that everybody's kind of used to, then it's mm-hmm. must or it's mold or something like that. So we are, there's a lot of uh, blasting of bedrock uh, here to create a stable and properly draining foundation for these cottages. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's just the best way to construct these now. Um, but at the end of the day, we're going to be, we have a whole vision of bringing the landscape back in and landscape design is so critical to the success of these projects. Um, and we, we try to, in our process, we try to include all of those consultants, all the necessary consultants right off the bat so that, uh, these projects are successful at the end of the day. Um, so using that software, uh, having multiple conversations and we use a design questionnaire as well uh, to extract all this information out. We're creating a concept, floor plans, elevations, 3D renderings, uh, material palettes, uh, reference imagery as well. Um, So we're trying to package this whole design into this really aesthetically pleasing package so that when we reveal it to the clients and we, we, explain our thoughts and how it interacts with other buildings or uh, the natural topography or features of the of the landscape it really speaks to them and we never get anything right off the off the first go but uh, we try to we try to set us ourselves up for the best success possible and and that kind of process um, has really been successful for us in the past eight years i love that and it's, it sounds to me like you're you've got good ears and you're listening to the clients you mentioned reading between the lines because they may ask for one thing but really mean something else so it's not taking their word for it it's asking them deeper questions am i right about okay you mentioned this uh d- did you mean this or did you mean that and going deeper yeah. not just saying surface yeah exactly it's and it's a i didn't know getting into this field i would have to put a hat on as a psychiatrist or psychology Mm -hmm. major, but it's definitely, you have to read between the lines and you have to pick up on different notes. And then there's always um, the dynamic between the partners, right? Whether it be a husband and wife or um, someone else, like it's, it's interesting. It's fun. How important is it for you to have both decision makers at the meetings and conversations throughout this. And do you ever run into where clients are like, I make all the decisions for this. I will be the one you're going to talk to. My husband or wife is never part of this. Like, have you ever run into that? I definitely have ran into that for sure. Um, And it all depends on the client. Um, It could go extremely well if they're good at communicating with their partner. (laughs) Um, But sometimes we've, found that there could be like a broken telephone situation where we're producing these design uh, based revisions or even the initial design based on one person's uh, approach. And then the partner looks at it and then the main point of contact brings back the feedback, but it may not be the actual feedback. So it's, (laughs) you have to, you have to almost like hit the timeout button when those things, when you, realize those things are happening and it's like, okay, Mr. Smith, I really think that we should have a a collaborative meeting with everybody involved just because 
we want to get the the information right from the horse's mouth to use a <laughs> something like that. So uh, that's how that's how we navigate that. Yeah, it's so important to have them both involved. You're exactly right, because if someone's feeding you information, they're only feeding you through their lens, right? Their vision of it. And it's not helpful mm -hmm. when it's not full. And then you're doing tons of extra work and not getting to where you need to go. So it's important. Correct. Uh, no, but thank you for that. So big question for you, obviously, as an architect and creating these incredible spaces that blend so beautifully to nature, what does good architecture mean to you? Good architecture means to me, I think that, especially, um, especially designing in a natural space a natural surrounding, um, the built form really needs to blend with nature. It really needs to be light on the land. Um, look as if it's been there for years. I, I learned uh, a long time ago from um, one of my mentors. He's also an architect in uh, Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Um, when you stand back from a built form or a project that you've designed, you should be able to scan the project left to right. And starting on the left-hand side, you should be able to see nature as you saw it when you first came upon the project. And you should be able to then see the edge of the built form. And there should be some hierarchy as we go across to say the middle or somewhere in the project. But once we get to that hierarchical point, it should flow back into nature. So building up the form, breaking down the form and spilling back into the natural landscape. And so that's one of the philosophies that I learned a long time ago and has been super helpful um, in creating beautiful designs and spaces and structures. Um, and another huge thing, and I found that you either have this or you don't. <laughs> and I am thankful that I seem to have it, but it's discretion with proportion and scale because you can design the most extravagant, the most expensive, the most detailed, house, structure, boathouse, whatever. But if your proportion and scale with volumes and entrances and windows and fenestration and just even roof lines, everything like that, you can, you can almost like tell when it's off and you have like a gut feeling where it's like, well, this is beautiful, but something feels a little bit off and like making sure that, um, designing to human scale is really important as well. So I have seen um, a lot of homes and I, th I think you see this more in like uh, suburban or city center areas where entrances to homes are like two stories tall or massive. And to me and my trained eye, that looks very intimidating to me. Like why it doesn't look very welcoming or very homey or cozy and who knows, maybe, maybe the architect or the designer wanted that feeling as you walk through the door, or maybe the client wanted that feeling through the door. And that's something that you would, uh, 
glean from conversations with your client. But for me, if I was set to my own uh, devices, I would, I would definitely resort to more human scale, making sure proportion and scale work harmoniously together. And we have a rise and fall in the project and it blends into nature. And I really like using natural materials and, and earth tones and things like that. And, and lots of glass because with glass, you're reflecting nature and mm. you can use like some clients have wanted to have a white cottage or a white home or something like that. But it's always framing the view because people are spending lots of money on these lakefront properties. They want the view. They paid for the view. So framing that view gives us the ability to use glass in our exterior facade and it helps with just blending in with nature, which is really, really cool. No, I love that, dude. You do such a beautiful job of that. And guys out there listening, if you want to take a look at this website I keep referring to, it's uh, foreshoeda.com. So it's F-O-R-E-S-H-E-W-D-A.com. Take a look at it. It's, it's, I love how it, it fades from black and white in the color. I think that's just, well, this is another great detail, of course, but uh, I just, I, I love it a lot. Um, so I'm going to switch gears here now that, you know, everyone knows that you build incredible spaces, that you have a great, you know, aesthetic and, and an eye for all of this. Now that we have all of that, that's great. But as business owners, we don't have to build a team, right? We have to start building a team. So how did you start doing that? Like, when did you realize, holy moly, I need more people around me? Has it always been that way? And then how did you build the team out? Yeah, so I'll just give you a real brief uh, background of kind of where I started. Um, so I went to school in Kitchener, uh, Ontario, at a college called uh, Conestoga College. I went there for three years. Uh, during those three years, uh, I started Forshoe Design Associates when I was 20. Um, so I'm now 33, so I've been doing this for 13 years. Um, so I started when I was 20, went to school for three years, and it was a four-year degree. And I had this affinity to heavy timber frame, heavy timber frame construction and integrating that within homes that were designed. And I really wanted a crack at designing some of these spaces. So I was cold emailing uh, tons of different timber framers all over North America to see if I could integrate uh, into their team and design some of their spaces. And I got this great opportunity uh, with a timber framer out in Golden, British Columbia, hmm. Canadian timber frames, and they asked me to come out and help them start their design department. So I never finished school. I just quit school and took my business and moved out to British Columbia to Golden and I started designing homes that uh, really appealed to me and it was really fun and through that I got to meet so many cool and interesting people because heavy timber framing is a niche market mm -hmm. and so I guess I was decent at at it <laughs> so I got uh, introduced to so many people and that's where I met one of my mentors uh, Tim Stone, who I met, mentioned before, uh, his company, Kelly and Stone Architects down in Steamboat, Colorado. And I worked with him on a project and then he kind of 
recognized my skill and he kind of took me under his wing and told me to move down to Steamboat Springs, Colorado and work with his team a little bit. So I did that and I lived in Steamboat Springs for more than six months, worked with his team, worked with Tim. Uh, they also have a satellite office over in Lake Tahoe. So I worked out there for a little bit as well. And then I moved back to British Columbia and then I moved back to Ontario and that whole adventure, I guess, was like four or five years. Um, and moving back to Ontario, I love the active lifestyle of mountain living. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, I knew of Muskoka. I'd never lived there before because I grew up in Kawartha Lakes, which is an hour and a half south of Muskoka. But uh, I said, if I'm moving back to Ontario, I know the only space where I'm going to be living and that's Muskoka. <laughs> so at 26, I took my company in, and at that point it was just a sole proprietorship. Um, it was just me that entire time and obviously working with other teams and moving to Muskoka. I knew that I had to be in Port Carling. I had known other contractors that were in the area and I knew the caliber of their projects. So I said, well, that's where I gotta be. So, I opened up a small office with one of the contractors. I rented the office from him and I hired my first employee. Um, and I guess at that point in time, I was definitely getting into larger projects, but I had worked with teams for the past three, four years, like other people's teams, but, mm -hmm. but almost as my own kind of thing. And I just realized it's like, okay, well, if I really want to be detailed and I really want to do this, I need my own team. So I hired my first employee in 2016. Uh, then I got more work Then I had more interest, hired another one, hired another one. And then uh, my business partner, Kate Sadler was the third employee that I ever hired. And she uh, was, she was great because she kind of pushed me into a whole new realm that I didn't even think was possible. Because at that, at that point in time, I was only doing architecture and planning. So mm -hmm. that's conceptual, uh, making sure that everything was working with uh, city bylaws or township bylaws, uh, building permit documents, applying for permits, and that was it. But she called me out of the blue and she was like, Hey, I'm an interior designer. Uh, I know you don't offer that within your firm, but you should. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, well that could be kind of cool. And so I had an interview with her and she was amazing and bubbly and so talented. And, um, we, we ventured out on opening up an interiors department within Forshoe design associates. And so then we had to build that team as well. And, so by that time we were kind of getting a little overloaded with people in the small office that we had rented. So, uh, we found a larger office, uh, just five minutes away, still in Port Carling. We fully renovated that, uh, and filled that space up with interior designers and more architectural designers. And yeah, we just, uh, kept building it out and renovating the spaces and 
now between the interior design studio and the architectural studio, we have about 18 staff today. Oh. Um, and it, that's spread about around 3000 square feet of, uh, office space. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a brief background on like how I got from now to then or to mm -hmm. from then to now, uh, and sorry, what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I was so enamored by your story, but it's, it's, it's about building that team, right? You said you started out as one and sole proprietor and then worked into building a team. And you know, my bigger question is like, okay, how do you go from one to 18? And then my bigger question is going to be asked right after this is how did you become the leader that could lead that and, and to empower others to lead as well in this? Cause you can't do it alone. You can't run 18 people all by yourself. You can try to micromanage yeah. it, but it won't work for nothing. So how, how was that for you? What was your journey? Like I'd love for the listeners to see someone who's doing it really well, how they struggled and moved through up in the ranks in order to become who they are today. Right. Yeah. So I have found that I'm really good at finding work. Um, and with finding work, you need talented people around you. Um, and so it has definitely been a struggle, I would say, uh, just because Muskoka is two hours north of the biggest city center, which is Toronto, Ontario. And it's a pretty, it's not necessarily remote, let's say, but it, let's just, let's just call it remote. So there's not a lot of housing. The housing's expensive. Um, there's not a lot of people living in the area. So in order to really find that team, you really need to be have someone that's invested, have someone that's passionate about design and they want they they're they're passionate about what you're doing. And what I have to do as a leader is get these projects and be retained by these clients that fire these people up and like yeah. give some real satisfaction and fulfillment on what they're doing. It's just, it's just not a, another job. And this is what fires me up so much is like, we get to work on these amazing projects with these massive budgets and we get to have fun. It's not, it's not necessary necessity housing it's we get to create spaces and and build forms that uh basically <laughs> whatever you can imagine and works in the canadian climate obviously yeah. um but it's it's making sure company culture is 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 big for me i i know that i would be nowhere without my team um nowhere near um so I think that's important to me to give back to my team and make sure that they're appreciated. And we try to do a lot of company events. Um, we, we've created a really comfortable office space for people to enjoy. Um, anything that the, that our teammates want, I try to appease <laughs> because I, I know that they're so valuable. They're the team is so valuable. If you don't have a team, you're nothing. So yeah. finding those, finding those key people are hard, but when you find them, you really need to look after them, especially yeah. in this location. 
I can see that, especially if you're in a very remote location where you don't have a gigantic pool to pull from. You know, the work has to be what keeps them coming back and obviously the team and all that. So that's really, that's really cool that you found that. So what has been some of your greatest lessons developing yourself as, as a, a leader of these, of this team uh, that you've kind of in the beginning was like, I didn't see that coming. And then I had to develop into this because we only, we have to keep constantly growing in order to be satisfied. The human spirit wants growth and it wants progress, right? We, we need to keep moving. When we stop is when we feel like we're lost and we don't know what to do. There's nothing pulling us forward. So how are you as a leader, you know, constantly kept yourself growing so that you could help lead this team? Yeah. So I think innately, um, Obviously, I'm a creative person, um, and innately, I think I am an introvert. <laughs> so there would be nothing more that I would love to go into my office and go into my creative space, shut the door, and listen to some great tracks and just design. That's exactly what I would want. But um, something that I have had to realize and switch gears is I can't be that person all the time. Obviously, I I have to for, I'm still design lead with um, all of my team, but I have lots of other great designers that can do amazing work. But I really need to become a manager and a manager of my team and driving schedules and uh, letting them in on what I'm thinking. And that takes <laughs> that takes a lot. Because like, I'm sure that you've heard and other people have heard is like, well, I, I don't want to explain this to him. It, it takes so much time. It'd just be easier if I did it myself. Oh, yeah. And you can't have that mentality if you're going to grow a team because you will, <laughs> you will be by yourself and you'll have to do it all yourself. And people won't, People won't appreciate that you're trying to further their cause as much as you are trying to further your own cause. And so that's one of my big struggles. And hopefully if any of my team listens to this, then hopefully I'm doing a good job. But um, that's been one of my larger struggles, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is tough. I mean, there's times when you just want to go out there and just bare knuckle it, right? Just be like, hey, it's gonna be a lot easier if I just do it myself. And then but the problem is, and I, I had that same want as well throughout the, the years. And I was like, you know, if I stop doing that, if I just say, look, all right, figure it out or ask them, what do you think the best solution could be? And just let them come up with ideas. And, you know, sometimes, Alex, and I'm sure this has happened to you as well. You let me know, but you sit back and be like, hmm. That was a heck of a lot better than my idea, right? So it's it's being yeah. humble enough to know that it's possible, and then because that that takes you out of the have to be there seat, you allow exactly. others to have you know autonomy and come up with their own ideas. And when they own those ideas, that that's where the that, that culture starts coming from. Is when they're like, they listen to my idea. We're doing things that work different because of an idea I had, and. When you, when you get rid of the ego as an owner and say, look, you know, I probably don't have all the right answers here. I'm here to guide. That's what I'm here to do. And I'll have ideas. I'll throw things on the table. But if someone else's idea is better than mine, we're going with that. And leaving yeah, exactly. the space for that is huge, don't you think? Exactly. Yeah. And in, in my, my job or my career is like very, um, very driven by time in the seat equals product. <laughs> So it's not like I have some kind of passive income or some way other than employees to 
to get those projects done or get get that revenue in the door. So it's like very tied to me being in the seat. But I I try to hire this way and there's people within my uh, my team right now that they are definitely smarter than I. And I want to hire that way just because if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I am in the wrong room. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Did it take you time to humble yourself to that, especially being, uh, you know, a self starter and, and going like to, to eventually say, I, when you're in a room with people, you're like, all these guys are smarter than me. Like, do you ever feel like that kind of creeping, that imposter syndrome? Did you ever have any of that? Oh yeah. Like worthiness issues for sure. Um, and like yeah. tons, tons of, uh, my clients are these multimillionaires, yeah. multi-billionaires who are amazing at business and creating something from nothing. And I am fortunate enough, and this is what's so, one of the things that's so cool about what we do is I get to have real conversations with these people and figure out how they live and what drives them. And, and then another part of that is like a lot of my clients become friends after we design these places for them. And that really fires me up. Uh, like yeah. the, the network that I have been able to grow out of this design position that we created is immense and it's so cool. And I, that's one of the things that I love most about what we do, but, um, yeah, worthiness issues when it comes to, it's like, really, they want my ideas or our ideas. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool to experience. But um, I would say like one of the biggest uh, things that have has changed who I am, I was introduced to a business coach three years ago. Uh, his name is Chad James. And Chad and I have worked through a ton of different things throughout the past three years. And is really given me kind of like a little, like a, a different leash on life and really opened my eyes to things in business and personal that I would have never known without his guidance and without his advice. So shout out to Chad James. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So many look and see successful people and say, you know what? They're just lucky. They were part of the lucky sperm club. They just right time, right place. They had a right talent. They got the right deal. What they don't realize is successful people have coaches and mentors. They have to. Mm -hmm. That's how they compress decades in the days. They take somebody who's spent 60 years learning something, they compress it into six months. And you're like, wait a minute here. So I don't have to wait until I'm 60 to learn that. I can learn it when I'm 30 or 20. Yes, mm -hmm. that's the beautiful part about coaches and mentors. And to, when you start out, you might not think you have a budget for it. I think it's one of the first things you need to invest in. You need to be investing more in you than on you, right? In you, yeah. meaning in your, 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 your growth and your, your, your mindset and your business uh, ability and acumen and your skill set, and not so much on the clothes and the fancy cars and all the bullshit that you're trying to show success with. Work on you first. You can have all those things later. Work on you first. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, what I have heard um, people say, and I believe it as well, it's like the harder you work, the luckier you get. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly true. Yeah, no doubt. Man, so I've definitely enjoyed listening to your 
um, you know, to, to what you're doing in life and all that and in coaching and the mentors that you've had in your life, you know, started out, it sounds like right out of school, you actually quit school to go work with one, right? So it was that, you know, starting out and how powerful it's been for you. What kind of advice could you give somebody listening who might be thinking about having a mentor, hiring somebody, trying to find the right one? How can you, you know, tell me a little bit about your journey in finding the right one? And is it something that you search out or do they search you out at times and they, you know, they kind of land at the right time? Yeah, well, one thing that I have really enjoyed, um, and if there's any entrepreneur out there or business owner, they'll they'll have this thought as well, where it's like, it's kind of lonely, uh, not necessarily at the top, but being an entrepreneur, and there's not a lot of people that you can talk to, these feelings and these these problems and what you're going through and employee problems and things like that. And it's sometimes can be super tough, super defeating. So having someone that you can kind of just lay out all of your cards to and be honest, be truthful. Um, and sometimes truth hurts. <laughs> and sometimes you need to get smacked up the head a few times in order mm -hmm. to get in line. But having a coach, has really helped me check myself and check my ego. And um, obviously with being a designer, being a creative, I think you have to have some, some ego uh, within yourself or else you wouldn't be putting forth your ideas and your opinions and things of that nature. But I think it's, Chad has really taught me uh, when to turn it on and when you don't need it. Um, yeah. So that's been super helpful, but just, just a sounding board. Um, so if you can find a mentor, someone that you look up to, and I was lucky enough to have Tim as mine, which I'm super thankful of. He's taught me a lot, but, uh, yeah, sounding board, someone to be honest with. It's yeah. been super amazing. 100% dude I meet with mine I've had for like five six years now and every week we talk about all kinds of stuff right we go deep on many things and you know a good coach will never tell you what to do a good coach will ask you questions and you got to figure it out and in the beginning I'm kind of like man I'm paying you how much and you're not telling me an answer here but he would right. do a disservice if he's like do this this and this here's your three things to do so he's always asking questions and letting you figure it out and I'm like oh man this is awesome, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, but for it, sure. Well, and it's made all the another thing, another thing that I would say as well is, and I, I don't know if all business coaches are like this and I call Chad my business coach cause that's how he was introduced to me. And I think that's what he obviously focuses on initially, but, um, there's been so many times where our sessions and we meet for an hour every week, um, our sessions don't even touch on business. And it's just all personal things. And especially with being an entrepreneur and a business owner, your business is your life. And like you bring that home, <laughs> your partner hears about it all the time. It never shuts off in your head. So any personal problem or interaction you have, it's, it's so influenced by how business is going. If you don't have cash flow, your personal life could suck. Yeah. Or like if everything's going great in business, oh my God, like your, your personal life could be amazing. <laughs> so like, yeah. I would say that, um, and I don't know if 
all business coaches are like this if they have that personal part to them. But I think that's another great addition to how my experience has went. It's like, oh yeah, let's talk about business, but like how's personal going? Check in on that. Yep. And you're you're absolutely right because they are so interbraided together, kind of like a, a big old rope, right? And if if you're not careful and you think you can be one way at business and be different at home or be different in your personal life, you're just lying to yourself. The reality yeah. is you can never grow your business faster than you're growing personally. And if you're not doing anything to grow personally, then your business will not last long growing. It just it just can't because the lead the leader of that business needs to be outpacing the business itself and growth. And if you don't go back, so many times I talk to business owners that say, you know, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just going to grow the business a bunch, but I don't plan on growing myself at all. Like I don't, I don't, I have no, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I don't want to talk about feelings. I don't want to talk about fears I have, anxieties that I have. I don't want to talk about this stuff. I just want more money. Mm-hmm. The problem is, if you're lucky enough to get a little more money, it won't last long. You've got to face those fears. You've got to go in and face those demons. You've got to face them head on. If you've got vices, you've got addictions, you've got things that you're dealing with. We all deal with shit, all of us. Mm -hmm. If you're not honest and look in the mirror and say, you know what? I need to face this now or I'm going to be stuck here forever. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, Yeah, like vices, uh, problems within your own personal mind and actions that you do. It's like, it's so tightly, uh, it's how you act in your business as well. Like, um, so getting that in check, uh, is, would be paramount as like any advice I would give to someone. Um, and another point that I just wanted to bring up, you talked about like, if you're only driven by money, then like you might be lucky enough to get a little bit, but it may not last. But like if you switch that around and you go full speed ahead into something that you're passionate about and something that fires you up, you'll never have to look for money again in your life because it will just be there. It will. Amen. Amen, dude. You couldn't be more on, on focus. If you're focusing on transactions all the time, you'll probably get a couple. You focus on transformations <laughs> yeah. and changing people's lives, man, that pays so many more dividends. You know, the lowest form of currency is money. The highest is relationships. Yeah. You're, you're finding that out with all these amazing relationships you're building with all your clients, right? That's really where the true wealth is. It's not in the money. It's those relationships. And I know that sounds crazy to people when they're going paycheck to paycheck or barely able to keep cash flow moving in a business. I get that. I'm just letting you know from the other side, someone has been through all of that shit before, Getting to the other side of it, when relationships become your primary focus, everything changes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, money is just a result of the work put in. Yeah. And it's like, if that's the way you look at it, and it's not the primary focus, I think your mindset completely changes, and you can attack business with a new view. And I think that's really empowering. Yeah. But it does require one big thing, faith. Yeah. You've got to have faith that, that you're not going to have all the answers. And whatever that means for you is I'm not here to, to start preaching. My point is to have faith in something bigger than you. Because when you do, you can make those big changes. You can make those big leaps. You can go from being a, you know, a one-man shop to going to 18 and on team and knowing that each and every day your decisions impact their lives, their families, their futures. It's a lot of weight mm-hmm. that comes with that. 
but having faith to know that in your heart, you're always going to lead them in the right direction and that you might not be able to see it yet, but you know, what's coming. There's a knowing mm -hmm. that happens with that faith component. Yeah. Well, and, and I would say just to tack onto that, like, um, abundance mindset is yeah. something that I have learned with, with working with my coach mm -hmm. and abundance mindset basically is like, Hey, I got this, whatever comes at me, I will figure out a solution. And like, you can't win all the time. And like, to be honest, it would be kind of boring <laughs> if you're just cruising through life on a cloud of pillows, basically, um, you need struggle. You need, uh, you need struggle to appreciate, right? Like yeah. if you don't have any struggle and everything's on easy street, when things go wrong, they really go wrong and you don't really know how to handle it. So right. having an abundance mindset going into uh, business life, personal life, I think is uh, another great asset to have to bring forth. I totally agree. And then to build on that, the idea of failure. Oh, so, so much of a fear. It used to be one of my big fears is fear of failure. Like what happens if I try this and it doesn't work? How much money am I going to lose? What are people going to think? Oh my goodness. They're going to realize that hell, most of this is just one, you know, banana peel away from falling apart. Like we're, we're all on this, this, this journey of, they, they think, okay, when you get to a certain point, like you're all very insulated. It's like, no, you, you that mindset oftentimes, if you don't work on it, it goes with you. And then you see people that do really well fail quickly because they keep that old mindset and they don't move with it. But you know, my bigger point is when it comes to failure, it's knowing that it is part of success. It is not the opposite of success without failure. There is no growth. There is no reality. There is no humbling, getting a little slice of humble pie, right? So those failures, if you take them as, oh, what well, was me? I can't believe this happened to me. I, oh my God, this is the most horrible thing. You can do it that way, but you're going to end up a victim the rest of your life. Or you can stop and choose to think about it as, all right, wow, okay, that's one way it didn't work. What other way can I try? What other way can I try? How many times do I got to hit that wall or bust through that rock in order to make the crack that I need, right? To keep coming at it because you know it's only a matter of time. The distance between you and success is only time. You're going to need a lot of failures to get there. I fail constantly. Each and every day I fail because if I'm not, I'm not pushing hard enough. That's the way I look at it. So how has your relationship with failure been in? Yeah, I mean, how, how has that helped you? How has failure been the fuel, not the reason why you haven't gotten where you want to go? I think that it's healthy to realize failure when, when it comes at you. Um, and like, take a minute, realize it happened. And like, again, that helps you check that ego and say, I'm not invincible. I'm yeah. like, I was doing great. And now this smacked me down. Uh, realizing it, checking the ego and saying, okay, this is actually something I really want. But now I've learned that that angle does not work. So how am I going to recalibrate and look at how I can overcome this? And like, don't like, again, I, I like to, and you might not like this, but I don't like to, uh, believe in stress, even though I know that it's a very real thing. Um, mm -hmm. but I look at stress in a completely different light 
where stress is a problem. And I know that problems, there's, there's always a solution to a problem. And the solution to the problem, it may, may, it may not be the most enjoyable solution. Um, it may really hurt, um, but there's always a solution to the problem. And the way that I look at stressful situations or failure, obviously there's stress within failure. Um, I really try to look at the silver linings and I really try to have that abundance mindset. It's like, okay, we're here now. Where do we go from here? How can we make this a positive outcome or how can we make it the most positive outcome it can be? And I've said that to a lot of people and they don't really align with that thinking, but it really helps me. Um, really helps me to know that like, okay, I'm here. That's okay. We're going to get out of it alive. Uh, it's just yeah. which, which is the best way to go. 100%. And that knowing, the knowing that there will be a way. It might not be mm -hmm. in my head now, but there is a way out. What our mind loves to do is create unsolvable problems, right? And so when we're like, oh, goodness, there's just no way out of this. And the fear sets in and then all the worry sets in and all the anxiety sets in because there's no way out of this box. Mm -hmm. But when you have the mindset to your point that, man, there's always a solution. I might not have it yet. Yet's a key word, right? Yet. But it'll come. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll figure it out. And it's okay. We're hire somebody okay that does to not this. have it. It's okay not to have it right exactly. away either. There's a lot of times, and I can relate this back to my position at, at the company, is like there's tons of times when I have designer's block where I'm sitting at my mm -hmm. drafting table, I have all the information in front of me, and I have some ideas, but nothing is coming out. And yeah. you have, just have to realize it's like that's okay. So put the pencils down, go away from your drafting table, work on some other things and maybe come back in a few hours or a couple of days and it just like pours out of you. And yes. so I think like looking at failure in the same light where it's like also again, like being okay with that you don't have the right answer the minute something goes wrong, yeah. that's okay. You're human. You're not a failure. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Not a failure. You're not, you're not doing anything wrong. None of us have all the answers all the time. It's so often it just takes some time and just have the faith again, have that, that understanding that there's plenty and to your point of abundance, there's plenty out there for everybody. It maybe just takes a couple minutes, a couple hours, a couple days to get that, uh, that juice back to get on that table and start just cranking out an amazing design. I know there was times for me when designing outdoor living spaces that I was like, I got four designs to finish this week and I didn't feel like doing any of them. I honestly, I pick up a paper and I was like, nope, I go on a computer. I'm like, nothing's happening. Sorry, dude, nothing's happening. I sort of feel like a failure. I'm like, did I lose it? Did I lose the, the, that thing that I had that made it so great before that I could just do this like Wonder Boy, I get this all done. And then I sit there and like, did I lose it? Where'd it go? And then to your point, an hour later, 15 minutes later, three days later, I sit down and blast out the best design I've ever had. And then I'm like, it's back, great. But I'm like, <laughs> how... You don't always know, right? You get it, right? The creative juices don't always flow and when you're they're demanded. Now, you can work that muscle over time. You can get a better sense of how you know, your mind works and you're like, okay, well, I, I'm probably morning is better for me on average, but it's not always the case. I'm not a night guy, so that doesn't really work a lot. But what if we flipped it around and see what happens, right? Just keep an open mind knowing you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Sometimes it's just not the right time and that's okay. But to give yourself yeah. the grace in that, 
that's the pressure that's let off and the anxiety and the worry and all that stuff just starts to wash away because you're like, no, it's still there. It just takes maybe a little bit more time to get there because my mind has to process things so I can knock it out. Yeah. And like trying to find, as you said, like the things that kind of like almost triggers that kind of like put yourself in the best position to be creative. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like for me, I'm a morning guy. I like getting up at five o'clock in the morning, doing my morning routine and going into the office before anyone else is in and yep. putting on some nice music, have a coffee and just being in front of my drafting table with a stack of 11 by 17 and being able yeah. to be creative. And for some reason, it sounds weird to say out loud, but um, when I create and when I imagine, I actually just close my eyes and put my arms down on my desk and put my eyes within my arms so that it's complete black. And wow. that's when I can be the most creative because I can see tons of stuff within my imagination or within my mind. And then yeah. when I have those ideas and I can sketch and maybe they're great or maybe they are shit <laughs> and that's yeah. okay. But putting yourself in the best position to be creative has really helped me and, and knowing those things too. Yeah, not being stressed. The stress part does not enhance your ability to be creative. It actually makes it more difficult. So if there's ways that you can reduce stress, like it's going to sound crazy, but taking a cold shower, going out mm -hmm. for a run. Run has been one of the best things for me, the cold shower side 100%. If it's meditating, if it's jumping around and dancing to a song when nobody's around, just jump around <laughs> and get your body moving. That physiological change, right? Physiology is everything. So moving your body, changing things, going to the gym, exercising, listening to some kind of motivational speech or something. There's, it's all over YouTube, right? If you need some kind of push, you come back on fire and making that part of your rituals each and every day. And next thing you know, you have more consistent lucky days, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where you're just yeah, like in the I... flow state. And you're like, holy moly, this has never been the case. Well, you're actively conjuring space in your own mind for that to, to, to grow and to flourish. But that takes a little bit of work and it takes some discipline too. But man, the payoff is just unbelievable. Yeah, I would agree with that. A pattern interrupter. Yeah, 100%. Because we often need that. Our minds try to find those unsolvable problems and we need to interrupt that pattern. It's like, I'm not creative today. Great. Okay, let's go see if I'm creative after a cold shower. Let's go in there for five minutes and freeze. Sounds crazy. I know you come out and you're like, whoa, you come back down, you get to the table and you're like, I got ideas now or go for that run and come back and sit down and you're like, I've got the idea now. But it's, it's that pattern. It's switching things out. If you just sit there and, and bitch about it and woe is me, you're just going to sit there in that soup, right? And not get anywhere. So just, I don't know. I like, I like sharing that stuff because it took me way too long to realize that I have full control over those things. I have much influence in those things is what I should say. But, uh, and we yeah, also, definitely, like, I, I guess going back to like as a manager uh, in the creative business, uh, knowing that for myself and allowing my teammates to have the same freedom creatively, like just what we talked about, like, yeah, yeah get up, go for a walk, um, yeah. go do something else, um, go talk to your teammates or something like that. Like I'm, I try not to be, and I don't, I don't want to push anything that I wouldn't do onto a teammate. Yeah. Um, so 
allowing them to be creative and allowing a little bit of freedom as I think like another part of the culture that we try to instill into our team. So, yeah, they're going to be much more creative when they're on their own terms, right? When you're like, look, you know, for instance, we've been working a lot remote even after COVID, right? It's been kind of built it through there. And now the team typically works from home Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, they come in Tuesday and Thursday. And it's great. You know, everyone loves it because they can, they, they save themselves, you know, the team saves themselves an hour of driving a day uh, and they can just be more comfortable at their own house. It's perfect. Right. And yeah. And I'm like, why would we not do that? Because I need people to look at me every day so I can watch them. I'm not a micromanager. I'm a leader. You know, I don't want that. I don't want that responsibility of like, what are they looking at on the internet? I'm like, no, we hire good people and we give them space to do their work. And that's that kind of, autonomy that 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 space that's it's so important to the human spirit to be able to to be creative especially in the creative arts right so man ox i can talk about this with you all day long so if, if people are <laughs> listening here and i certainly appreciate all of your input and your thoughts and i love hearing your story how can people find you how can they take a look at what you're doing and and even possibly help you in some way yeah so as you mentioned uh definitely have a website www.forshoeda.com we also have a, a kick-ass Instagram page and YouTube channel. So for sure, uh, we post on Instagram every single day um, different projects that we're designing, uh, being a part of the construction process. Um, so there's lots of cool content on there. We have our own in-house marketing manager or team. So we're able to get as much content at the drop of a hat, basically, which has been super, super great. Um, so Instagram, YouTube, website, that's how you'll find us. Awesome. Well, I know I was looking at your Instagram before we came on and it's some very incredible stuff. Do you know your handle by chance for that? Ooh, I think it is at Forshew underscore D-A. So F-O-R-E-S-H-E-W underscore D-A. Perfect. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff. I mean, if you just need inspiration alone and you just heard the man's story, you know, we all struggle with the same things as owners and the same mindsets, the same issues. The same, it's just, we're all doing the same thing, right? Little differences here and there, but you're not an island. You're not alone. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. This is all part of the process. And that's why yeah. I love to bring people like Alex on here who's killing it in his, in it, what he's doing and showing that, hey, we're all just humans. We all struggle with stuff. Nobody's got it figured out. They may look that way, like, oh my God, they've got everything. I'm all messed up. No, <laughs> we all struggle every day. We've got coaches. We've got mentors. We, we fail constantly. That's part of the entrepreneurial journey. And if you aren't, you aren't pushing hard enough. So yeah, Alex, yeah, thank you for coming on here today. And uh, best of luck in what you're doing. Keep on working hard so you get luckier as you go. <laughs> and uh, any last parting words before we finish up? Yeah, no, I, I, I super enjoyed, uh, being on the show, Josh, uh, it was great. Um, questions took a, a different turn into what I thought it would be about, but I enjoyed the conversation, uh, thoroughly. So, um, yeah, any listeners out there, if they're wanting more information about what we do or even to just have a chat, like I love building my network. So reach out. Perfect. I love that, Alex. And thank you listeners for listening along. Hope you picked up as much as I did from this episode. And um, keep going, keep pushing. You're not broken. Just keep doing what you love to do. That's where everything, that's where the passion's found. Just keep pushing. So talk to everybody next week. 